The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Tuesday, May 2nd on the Just Baseball Show. Jack McMullen, Aram Layton. We are hopping around the headlines. And unfortunately, a lot of them have to do with IL stints. Notably, a guy might be coming off an IL stint, I don't know, six months before we were expecting him to, like any normal human being was. Uh, but a lot of bad news, too. Uh, we, we will try and make it sound good and have some fun here. Uh, Aram, you said you, you'd kind of tossed and turned last night after bourbon night. What's the deal, man? Yeah, I don't know, dude. It's a uh, little acid reflux late at night with a with a 10 o'clock bourbon with, with Walker on the last episode. We won't tell Walker about that. No. I will adjust. I will adjust. I'll eat a more neutral food prior it's a bad day to have pastrami on on rye for dinner. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just just I was say that or like a tomato. Like yeah, but right when my head hit the pillow, I'm like, oh gosh! I felt my chest. I'm like, this is going to be a while. So just spent like 30 minutes just kind of thinking about random minor league baseball stuff and whatever, and just kind of sat up on the computer, did some some dumpster diving on like the, the box scores, and then it went away, and then I was good to go. Went right back to sleep at 1:30. Okay, so this is a perfect transition to what I wanted to open the podcast with because we just talked acid reflux and minor league baseball, random minor league baseball stuff. That's 80% of my life. 
random minor league baseball stuff and acid reflux. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you live a shitty life, man. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, the Altoona Curve, the double-A affiliate of the Pirates, um, is rebranding this summer for a week as the Altoona Pizzas. I was like, okay, I know like Pittsburgh-style pizza. But this screams acid reflux and minor league baseball. An Altoona pizza, I'm showing the YouTube crowd as I describe it, is the most heinous-looking pizza Ugh. I've ever seen in my life. That's it's, not a pizza. It's Sicilian-style crust. Um, sorry, I accidentally clicked. So, there we go. That's also such be like you. You just pick a, a city in Italy and say it's this style blank. And no, then- okay. Listen, as as somebody that likes to consider themselves a pizza connoisseur, um, I understand the Sicilian style thing. Like in Sicily, they do that. You know, like heavier, doughier bread. Like it is more crust. Yeah, that's fine, more- but whatever the whatever the hell you slap together in Altoona, like it's 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 like disrespectful almost to to brand it that way. Correct. So it's Sicilian style crust. It's marinara, salami, oh. green bell pepper. And a slice of American cheese. And that's the pizza. Dude, like I there there would have to be some some major issues in my life for that to be like a, a an eating option for me. Yeah. Or I would have to be an Altoona and I'm like, you know what, screw it, let's do it. So um I, I texted John Moses, who's the voice of the Altoona Curve, who will rebrand it who will rebrand as the Altoona Pizzas. And and I said, just read about Altoona pizza. I'm so sorry you have to stomach that. And and he had a good response to that. He was like, "Listen, gonna do it. We're gonna have a good time." And the logo is sick. So logo you know, sick. That's credit. Yeah, that's what it's all about, man. So so credit to John Moses for committing to the bit. Um, and, and credit to the Altoona pizza for somehow surviving, even though that is not something that I would touch with a ten foot pole. The fighting Drew Maggies. That yep. should be should be a fun ball club. They get Drew back, uh, which, by the way, I didn't I didn't think he'd get another opportunity. And for those who are like, you know, maybe blanking on who Drew Maggi might be. That was the journeyman minor leaguer, 33 years old, about to be 34, that made his debut with the Pirates the other day. Um, fortunately, we got a, a blowout following that, which was an opportunity for them to, you know, put Maggi back in. He gets it in a 12-0 game and picks up his first hit. And then picks up an RBI double. So I, you know, it was cool that he got to debut period. And even if it ended at at 0 for 1 with the strikeout, and he had that moment where you know the, the crowd gave him the ovation, like that's lifetime of memories. But hell, man, I wanted to I wanted to hit real bad, and he gave us two. Uh, so good for Drew Maggi. He will probably finish his major league career with a positive F WAR, which is what we all, what I would imagine every single professional player is. is you know, pursuing. It's just to finish life with a positive F4. We could all be so lucky. Well, I'm trying to finish with a 0.0, and I think that we will get there. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Maggi, like, that first hit had to feel so good, and I've been promised by the co-host of, or the host of Show and Go with Taylor Davis, Taylor Davis, that Drew Maggi will be a guest on Show and Go in the next week or so. So Maggi going to come on and, and talk about that, but yeah, man. I mean, that was freaking awesome. And Drew Maggi will likely be in Altoona Pizza at some point this season. Let's hop into, you know, like the news dump of sorts, right? And we've got a lot of IL stints, people that are coming off the IL, people that are going on to the IL. Um, the biggest one is from the Athletics' Matt Gelb in Philly. He's the Phillies beat writer for the Athletic. 
Bryce Harper is going to visit uh, Neil Elitrosh, who is the same one. Um, I don't think Bueller referenced that name, but he did reference a surgeon. Um, he either referenced it before we recorded or or, at, or as we were recording, but yeah, he definitely mentioned. So Neil Elitrosh did Bueller's Tommy John surgery. Um, Neil Elitrosh did Bryce Harper's Tommy John surgery. If Dr. Elitrosh clears Harper today, we're recording on Monday, he is active tonight on Tuesday. He's active tomorrow night for us tonight for all of you listening. So there's a chance that Bryce Harper, 160 days post Tommy John surgery, is in the lineup for the Philadelphia Phillies. And I, I was talking to you a little bit about this pre-recording, but the the farther we get into Bryce Harper's career, the more I fall in love with the arc of Bryce Harper and the more I come to terms with the fact that Bryce Harper might just be my favorite player in baseball. And like, I think about Otani for sure. I think about Tim Anderson as a White Sox guy, but Harper, I mean, the, the, the shit that he's done since going to Philly, you know, having that underwhelming year where he hit 35 pumps, drove in 114 and had an 890 OPS. He bounces back. He's like, I'm out to prove something. He wins an MVP. And then he goes absolutely ballistic in the postseason last year. And now this guy is throwing the ego aside. He's already made his bag and he's still fighting like hell to get back on the field. I mean, this guy is so easy to love right now, man. I, I mean, I, I think the embodiment of of who he is now as a as a player is is kind of what he's doing to get back. Reese Hoskins goes down. They don't really have a first baseman. Uh, Nick Castellanos is playing at a high level. You have Schwarber, who's you know always going to mash, and uh, obviously they're they're covered in center field with with Marsh. Like they, they they aren't going to, they don't need like they don't upgrade as much by putting Bryce Harper in the outfield. You upgrade no matter what when you put Bryce Harper in the lineup. But where can you see the biggest game? It's obviously at first base. You're kind of covered and accounted for everywhere else. So what does Harper do instead of saying, "Hey, yeah, I'm going to DH and play corner outfield, and you can figure it out with the other guys." says no let me learn first base like that that is not what 300 million dollar players are at least that's not what we're conditioned to see 300 million dollar players do but there's Mookie Betts playing shortstop that's also a different thing though because it's like Mookie Betts is a freak athlete who I feel like loves to challenge himself on being a freak athlete whereas Bryce Harper is like learning a new position and it and is kind of putting himself in a different situation that he's never been in that to me says a lot and this is going to help the Phillies in a big way. Well, and Miguel Rojas was activated yesterday. So I think Mookie knew that it was just like a time buyer until exactly. somebody was back healthy. With Harper, it's like, if this all goes according to plan, Harper could be the starting first baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies in the postseason. Yes. So weird that he's no, willing to bizarre. do that. And like, that's my favorite thing about him, man. And we were talking a little bit about the perception of a young Harper on show and go. So listen to that episode. It's also out this morning. Um, But we were talking about the perception of Harper compared to the perception of Manny Machado. And and the three of them came up at the same time, Harper Machado and Mike Trout. And Trout was always the quiet one, you know, just played the game the right way. And he was perfect when he played Machado and Harper had some immaturity. And I think their immaturity looked a little different, but people didn't like Bryce Harper in Washington. People still don't like Bryce Harper for some reason. And I ask you, after that postseason run, after this news, how can you not like Bryce Harper? I tweeted that during the postseason last year, and it kind of 
blew up. But then, of course, when it blows up, you get a lot of those like you get the haters. Yeah, you get the people that you were kind of asking the question to. Otherwise, it doesn't usually reach them. So I was actually happy about that. And there's yeah. a bunch of people like that basically were like to my rhetorical question of how can you not like Bryce Harper was like, well, there's a million reasons. Blah, 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 blah. Like, OK, really give him. Is it the clown question thing when he was 20? Yeah, when he's tw- like in 2014 or whatever it was when he was, you know, lauded as the the next coming of whatever and, you know, the chosen one. And then, you know, somewhat is pretty close to those expectations. Like, I, that's just something that we can't relate to. You cannot understand what it's like to be, you know, renowned as, as a talent that you don't see, maybe a generational talent at age 15, 16, you know, on Sports Illustrated and all those things that we've talked about. So uh, what, what I love is is I do think that, you know, while it sucks that he had to deal with all that, I do think that it, it contributed to this arc of humility that we see now from Bryce Harper, which is, you know, we were just talking to Walker Bueller about how you have to be really level-headed to be a really good hitter in Major League Baseball. The highs can't be too high. The lows can't be too low. Bryce Harper's highs, like, he barely shows any emotion. You know he's feeling it, but you can tell that he really manages his emotions well. You can tell that he has a very mature approach to how he does things. His lows are are not that low. Like he still knows who he is. Um, and and I think that the mental aspect of it, I, Harper's able to do some things in the box that, that very few are able to do. And even just right. the way that he moves in the box, you can appreciate that it's very rare. But I also think it's it's up here between the years where he he has really found that inner piece and i think that's why he's kind of taken his games to the next level we, we've talked about harper's two-strike approach on the episode before and remind me if i forget to circle back to the him conversation remind me to circle back to the him conversation please but we we talked about harper's two-strike approach before on this pod several times yeah. where he abandons the leg kick and he just like spreads out a little bit and it's a simple weight transfer and he's strong enough to put the balls out. Um, I was talking with my radio partner in Indianapolis, Howard Kelman, 72-year-old guy, um, has been the voice of the Indians now. He's on year 47. You know, this is a guy that like fell in love with the game in the late 50s, the 60s, and the early 70s. And then he hopped into a minor league booth. So this guy like embodies the old school love of baseball and naturally has some disdain for the new school, right? Getting your ace swing off three times, going down swinging, whatever. Um, He said, you know, he he brought up the idea of a two-strike approach. And I said, well, you know, Harper kind of has that old school approach, but he's, he's good enough at the new school stuff where like he can still leave the ballpark with a two-strike approach. And he was really appreciative of me explaining the Harper load situation, the Harper two strike approach to him, because I, I think that is like the perfect blend. And I think that, you know, some of the people that hated Bryce Harper were probably the ones that hated the the new school form of baseball. Yeah. I think yeah. this guy does some old school things that people would love. And, and at the end of the day, man, like still, I, I was thinking about this and this is something that I've talked about with a few different people within the the industry. Like one of my favorite, like philosophical conversations is, is a two strike approach, re- approach really worth it? If you're Bryce Harper, it's really not in terms of like if it compromises your power. But if it doesn't compromise your power really much at all, then it absolutely is worth it, of course, right? Like you're you're still able to hit the ball out pretty much in any count. If he turned into a like spray the ball guy, I'd rather take the one out of 10 chance that he hits a home run with two strikes. But the difference is Harper, you get both. And and that's the amazing part. I almost wish he kind of hit like that all the time. Uh, You almost wonder why he doesn't because he looks so comfortable that way. But 
Um, not a lot of guys can do it. It's really hard to do, even just period, timing-wise, body-wise, getting yourself moving that way. And then to do it, you know, without really compromising power is a testament to just how special he is. Yeah. Uh, last thing on Harper is the him thing. And I pose this question to Taylor. I want to pose it to you. Um, or or just a like thought that I have on that. There are a lot of athletes, regardless of sport, that say, I'm him. Yes. If you say that you're him, you're not him because you're trying to prove it to yourself. Like Austin Reeves. Yes. Like he's the one saying I'm him. Like Austin Reeves, man, you're not a top 170 player in the game right now. Well, but now he is. Now he is. Uh, it, it, basketball heads just, just actually shivered when you said that. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. But I mean, like Harper will never be outspoken like that and, and say like i'm goaded like you know celebrate like a homer Mike like Trout that has never done that that's the thing so my question was is bryce harper him when it comes to baseball yeah because like i think though like his arc is definitely more like and i, I hate using this this term like in, in, in an actual like conversation but like, I think his arc is more, quote unquote, him than Mike Trout's. Obviously, Mike Trout's been more dominant and and more and like we're not arguing who the better player is. But I think Bryce's arc is a little bit more like him, him in quotes, <laughs> because of the way that he's, you know, what he's done in the postseason, uh, you know, the way he's met expectations that were absolutely unfair. Mike Trout was a late first round pick out of high school. No one was really expecting anything out of him out of the gate. Yeah. Um, and he struggled in in his rookie season um, or the first little stint in the big leagues. Uh, now Harper kind of doing this first base thing. Like I, I do think that the, and also he still pimps home runs. He still like enjoys them, but he doesn't do it in a way where it's like, I'm that guy. I'm this, I'm that. I'm just, he just enjoys the moment. Um, yeah, I would, I would say he's he's that guy. Um, I I don't really know who else you could say that about. Like Mookie in a different way, but Harper in this way that like commands fear, commands like he is literally that guy. Um, so like my mind, my mind went to Otani, but like, like I don't yeah, know. But like, I, there's I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess it is Otani. I guess yeah, it would be Otani. But the Harper's just kind of got that attitude. Yeah, I think so too. All right, moving on to Degrom. Jacob Degrom hits the not 15. him, unfortunately. Not him. Maybe the it's antithesis not his fault, of him. Though. Like it just sucks. Yes, it sucks. But you got to have the Degrom conversation to the 15-day IL with right elbow inflammation. Uh, he's pulled from another start. I think that's the second time he's been pulled from a start in his last four. He had wrist soreness the last time, and like that one was weird. I don't know what wrist soreness means from a pitcher, but. Elbow in, elbow information is terrifying. Um, I have a really hard time grasping the idea that Degrom is like one of the best pitchers in the game right now because he has been so ridiculously unavailable. Yeah. No, I mean it's I. I look, this is what it boils down to: most talented, sure. Um, but I mean, it just doesn't really doesn't really matter. Uh, that much anymore, unfortunately. Um, it's Byron Buxton, man. Like, yeah. DeGrom is entering Byron Buxton territory. Well, and, and it's just like you know, people are saying, oh, when he's healthy, this. Yes, when he's healthy. But it's, at this point, the, that caveat has become too much of a caveat, right? Like, it's at one point when he's healthy was was valid. But at this point, when he's healthy is is just too much of a caveat. So, 
he's just not like if you asked any MLB team, if you did a a snake draft of pitchers as you're building your franchise, Jacob DeGrom, even if it was for just this season, Jacob DeGrom ain't going top 10. Like it, it, even even before I think that that elbow inflammation, I don't know if he's going top 10 because of the injuries. And it sucks because when he's on the mound, even right now, like through all of these little injuries, like he was pretty damn dominant 45 K's four walks. Like he's still dominant. Um, what makes DeGrom almost on it? It is almost unenjoyable to watch him pitch for me at this point because I'm holding my fucking breath every time. Every pitch he throws, I'm like, is this like hurting his arm? Like, I I just, it's just not fun. And it sucks because this is a guy that even through all of this is leading the league in strikeouts per nine. Um, But if he throws 110 innings a year, which would be, I think, a good scenario at this point in each of the years of this contract – that's a massive disappointment for what they signed him for. And that's why I think it's crazy that, you know, the Rangers did this five years, 185 on the back end of a rebuild. Um, You know, again, we said not our money, so it's fine, but you have to imagine that this is going to, you know, stop them from making any major splashes elsewhere when they've already got Seager and Semyon. It, it, it is really, really interesting. Um, But, you know, let's see how he comes back from this. It's just one of those things that he's had a million of those nagging injuries. They've never really done anything about any of them besides like, let's take a couple weeks off and reassess. And then he has another nagging injury. Like maybe he needs to have a surgery or have a prolonged amount of time off instead of this, like uh, just piecing it together and then getting hurt and then piecing it together. And like, what, what are we doing? I feel like we're just continuing to kick the can down the road when it comes to DeGrom's health. Well, and there have been different things, right? So it was like a back thing, and then it was a a posterior shoulder thing, if I'm not mistaken, and now it's elbow inflammation. And and elbow inflammation is probably the scariest, I guess, with a hard thrower. Um, You know, naturally go to, all right, do we have ligament damage? All right, is that TJ? All right, that's 18 months. Um, I don't want to assume anything. I hope that it's just a little flare-up and, you know, things can quell. But again, that's like another several weeks off and then we're back and we're going to get a new one. DeGrom did throw a complete season in 2020. Do you count that? No. No. If you don't count it, this guy hasn't thrown a full season since pre pandemic, man. Yeah. And, and the thing too, that I'm, I'm thinking about here is you talk about all the little different ailments, obviously not a doctor, but one thing I know very, very, very positively is that, you know, when you have a little issue, like your body, adjusts to be able to accommodate that issue. And and when that happens and when you generate the kind of force that DeGrom generates, you aggravate other parts of your body. Like he's had these elbow forearm problems. And I think throwing through that and trying to, you know, come back is maybe cause the slightest, slightest, slightest changes in his mechanics, which then can mess up your back or this or that or whatever. Like that's why I really feel like it's just, they got to tackle this thing. Um, He had Tommy John, what in 2010, uh, I the think first so. Time. So that was, and usually like that. The, obviously, Tommy John, the, the replaced UCL is way stronger and way better. But I mean, that's a decade plus of extreme, you know, almost unprecedented force on the replacement UCL. Like, would you be shocked if he needed another Tommy John surgery? Like, probably not. 
We just talked to a guy that had his second yesterday, man. And like you think the constant, the common saying when it comes to a Tommy John surgery, and we brought this up, you're replacing a rubber band with a chain link fence. Yeah. Chain link fences can snap too. When you generate unprecedented force for a decade plus. Yeah. Um, And, and I think that's where DeGrom's at now. So like why, let the rest of your body get messed up. Like he's pretty fortunate. There hasn't been much shoulder stuff. That's like the one thing he's been able to kind of avoid for the most part in terms of like that shoulder capsule, which at that point I'm like, we're going to talk about Tyler Molly. Like that's where it gets really, really, really worrisome. Yeah. He's still clear of that. Like I, I, I almost think they should rip the bandaid off, but we'll see. Obviously there's way more qualified people to look at that, but like I almost would be relieved to a degree. Cause I, I'm just tired of like the IL stint. He's back. I hope he's okay. And then he's not. And he never is like, I'm almost, I almost want to just see like a full recovery time off and like get it all worked out. Cause it's just, it's just almost, ex- it's exhausting. I can't it imagine is. how he feels. I really can't imagine how he feels. I, I have a lot of, of sympathy for him. No. And, and I don't think Mets fans are pointing and saying, I told you so, but I think that Mets fans are saying like, this is what we endured, and now everybody's enduring it with us. This is why we were, you know, I think Mets fans were very upset that he was gone, but I think... Billy Epler made a good baseball decision. Yeah, and I think Mets fans would have been much more outspoken and devastated if they knew it wasn't a good baseball decision. Like, we saw, I saw plenty of Mets fans that are like, oh, it's going to be so hard to see him in another jersey, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but I don't think anybody's like, how could we let him go? How did we do this? Whatever, like... They kind of knew what was going to happen. The writing was on the wall. And and I don't think a single Mets fan was – I'm sure every Mets fan wanted to see him succeed. Like, DeGrom was almost uh, – became a, a very, very, very special part of, like, the Mets fan base. But at the end of the day, like, I don't think anybody was, you know, begging him to stay for $180 million. So I ask you, five years, 185. I think we we saw that as a scary, scary deal in real time. In hindsight now – that feels like a drastic overpay. This feels like one that could hurt. I think there's a 10 to 15% chance that this contract goes well. Damn. But if it goes kind of bad, like, sure, that's fine, I guess. Yeah. Like, you probably make some money back on jerseys. Like, <laughs> like he's, he's Texas wrong. wants to break even on him. <laughs> but here, there's the thing, too. Like, if he came back from the second TJ, last thing on him, like, and he's sitting 93, 95, his command is is exquisite. Like, the, the shape on his fastball is fantastic everything's elite the stuff is like he can operate at 93 95 the thing is is you can't just tell a guy that throws 100 like hey like have better command at 93 95 but if that's like the new max for him he'll still be good so like that's the one thing that's working into grom's favor is just can his body literally hold it together and and that's what i'm sure they're gonna have experts to figure out yeah um less scary but still nerve-wracking for a New York team, Aaron Judge. Is he headed to the IL is the big question. I, I think he hurt his hip on a swing. I saw a slide, but I thought that was a hand thing. Um, he got an MRI on his hip. Aaron Boone initially said hip discomfort. Turns out he's got a mild hip strain from that MRI. Um, so Judge, it's like maybe going to the IL, maybe not. It, it sounds minor, quote-unquote, like he's not going to miss months, but he may miss a couple weeks. And when you've got Carlos Rodon looking like he could be a, a mid to late June arrival. And you've got this offense struggling the way they are at the bottom. And this could be detrimental to the beginning of the Yankee season. 
if he hits the IL, which like I wouldn't be surprised, right? Wouldn't you want to be more careful with Judge on May one, May two? I think um, so. Yeah, I'd imagine so because that's kind of like where they need him in August and beyond, July, August, beyond. And dude, this lineup without Aaron Judge, it is crazy. Like we talked about it, the Yankees, uh, the Yankees lineup right now is is pretty unserious. Like some of the guys that are getting consistent at bats. Willie Calhoun in the DH role. <laughs> like there's there's some guys, Franchi, like was getting consistent, consistent at bats. It, it was just not something that should be happening with the New York Yankees. Like, I can't believe Willie Calhoun is still playing. There's a 530 OPS. Why why is he getting consistent at bats for the New York Yankees? Uh so you remove you remove Aaron Judge from this lineup. It is not very good at all. At all. At all. And they don't really have that many great players to, to plug in at this point. Uh, things could get a little ugly kind of quick. Obviously, they're the Yankees. They'll be fine. They'll get a lot of guys back. But uh, they could be looking at a bit of a deficit. It'll be almost like the reverse of last year where they start slow, probably finish strong. Um, but at 15 and 14, you lose Judge for a week plus. And things could get very ugly quick. The offense is already struggling. Tanner Bybee is starting against Garrett Cole tonight in New York, which is really fun. Um, And I will watch that game. But after Cole, things taper off, especially without Rodon. Clark Schmidt on Wednesday, off day on Thursday, on Friday, it's a TBD right now. You assume maybe Nestor Cortez. uh, And then on Saturday, you go back to Domingo Hermann. Like, that's brutal. And we love Nestor, but Nestor just got blasted in Arlington this weekend. He's rocking a five ERA right now. I mean, this Yankee rotation is not good enough to survive shortcomings in the lineup. Oh, by the way, uh, this coming weekend, we've got Oakland and Kansas City in Kansas City. I will watch every pitch of that series. Um, No, I won't. I won't watch a single pitch (laughs) of that series. But I don't think this rotation is good enough to survive the lineup shortcomings without Aaron Judge and without Stanton. No, I agree. I think they're they got some stuff to figure out very quickly. Big very, time. very quickly. I think the twins have things that they need to assess here. Do you want to start with the bat being optioned or do you want to start with the pitchers? Yeah, there's a lot to figure out with the twins. But in almost a better way. They've got a they've got an, a, a lot of depth. Let's so let's with the pitchers. That'll be quicker, I think. Okay. Um, so Kenta Maeda already on the IL. Tyler Malley goes on to the IL with shoulder issues. When you saw that, what came to your mind? Yeah, it's not good. Like, cause this is recurring stuff. Um, like it's that's definitely scary. Um that that's one where I'm like, he's gonna miss a lot of time. That's that's a little and it was like shoulder plus something else. Like it might have been shoulder and elbow, if I'm not mistaken. Um that that made me a little a little nervous. Um, the good news for the Twins is they do have some big league ready depth. Um, now we've talked about Simeon Woods Richardson, but I don't even know if that's the guy you go to here. He's still twenty two. Like you could you could get a little bit more seasoning for him in in AAA. Bailey Ober has been great in his two starts overall. Um, has been great in AAA. Like if that's a guy that plugs in at four or five, like that's fine. Uh, Louis Varland has been really good in AAA as well. I think that's a fine back end of the rotation guy. But I mean, remember you you traded a lot for Tyler Malley. You traded Spencer Steer, who's starting for the Cincinnati Reds. You traded Christian Encarnacion Strand, who looks like one of the better offensive prospects in baseball, uh, and is just mashing through AAA now. 
and he traded a couple other solid pieces. So yeah, that that is something that you know is unfortunate. Obviously, the Twins we're going to talk about Sonny Gray and like that's going really well for them. Uh, but Malley's looked good when he was on the mound this year. So you really need that guy to be successful. We talk about like the the four number threes. It's a big part of the four number three type starters, and uh, and and that's a big drop off. Still, I like Ober, but that's a big drop off. Yeah, and I I think Pablo has elevated above that three line. Sonny Gray is clearly elevated above that three line in the early goings of the season. And and again, we'll get to Sonny Gray a little bit later. But yeah, I I mean that's terrifying. And like Maeda, I don't want to say like you can stomach it, but you can kind of stomach it. If he's on the IL, like you feel decent about piecing together Ober, Varland, SWR starts. When you need those three guys to fill in for two starters, then all of a sudden you're pushing your chips in a little bit. And Brent Hedrick, another guy that like can fill in, he made his major league debut a bit earlier this year. Um, But Hedrick is not a guy that wows you with stuff. Uh, Ober is a major league starting pitcher. I will wear the L on that. Again, I signed a new contract this off season that, uh, I need to say that Casey Mize, I was totally wrong about him. Um, and I will admit that Bailey Ober in a better spot in his career than Casey Mize is right now. Yeah. So thank you. Ober, not only better than Casey Mize, but Bailey Ober is a major league starting pitcher that was buried on the depth chart and was unfortunately in triple to start. So this guy fills in, immediately takes one of those roles. I don't hate the tandem of Varland and Simeon Woods Richardson in place of Maeda. No, I, I don't. It's it's really the drop off of, of, and I like Ober, but it's like the but drop Mally off to Ober. Mally to Ober, like that hurts because Mally can give you flashes of like seven, you know, eight, seven innings, eight, nine punches, shut out. Like when he's Mally, he's that. Um, yeah, I'm hoping they get him back. The, the the difference is if you get him back for the second half of the season, um, you know, you, you feel pretty good about that, and you can definitely survive with with Ober. And the aforementioned two other guys, like that, that, that'll be more than enough. Though the bullpen's definitely held up their end of the bargain so far this year. Um, I don't think Jorge Lopez has given up a run yet. That's looks like a nice pickup. The Twins have made a lot of nice moves. Like Mally, you can't really predict injuries. Um, it sucks that they gave up a lot for a guy that did have a little bit of shoulder issues, but like it was worth the roll of the dice. Um, you figure you trade for three arms, not all three are going to go swimmingly. Pablo looks like it's going pretty well out of the gate, Sonny looks like it's going great. Mally, unfortunately, not as much. They do get Chris Paddock back at some point, hopefully, at the end of the year, too, which is important to know because that's, I mean, we'll see how he looks off of Tommy John, but even even a 70 to 80% of Chris Paddock, like I know he's had a bit of a roller coaster. That's a fine five. Well, and it could could probably be a swingman type role. Like if he was just another proven body. Um, For sure. So that's, that's also something I think, you know, we could forget easily. I think he'll be back by the end of this year. Again, they can outslug teams. Like they can win games eight, seven, because this lineup is so good and so deep that Alex Kirloff, though he was having a great start to the season, <laughs> activated from the IL and optioned to St. Paul. Like I was not thinking that Kirloff was going to be a St. Paul Saint this year. I didn't think that at all. And here he is getting the option because. You can't move Joey Gallo off first right now. The dude's slugging 700. I'm looking at this St. Paul lineup. They've got Alex Kirilov, Matt Walner, and Edouard Julien all waiting there as understudies. This team is deep as shit, dude. This is one of the deepest position player teams, I think, out there. And I think they're going to... 
they're going to figure out which vets aren't really going to contribute and probably bring these guys up. But what's crazy about Kiro off is this is a dude that he, the only reason you can justify him being in triple a is like the understudy. Like we're just waiting to figure out stuff at the big league level yeah. because what he did in, in 35 games last year in triple a was absurd. And what's funny is he's actually identically matched it through 11 games this year. 1106 OPS in 35 games last year in AAA, 1105 OPS in 11 games this year in AAA. Um, 14 home runs in 46 games. He's hitting well over 330. Uh, he doesn't strike out that much. It's it's one of those things where it's just I I look at Kirilov and I feel like he makes their team better. I think they know that. I think this is to buy a little bit of time um, since. I guess he had an option or two. I don't have that in front of me. Um, but I would just, I would love to see this guy in the lineup every day. What he's doing in AAA is comical. He's hitting the crap out of the ball and he looks really comfortable and he looks healthy. He can play first base. He can play outfield. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see how they create a spot for him because I feel like they have to soon. I think Kirilov, they just used his final option. Mm-hmm. Um, so. They'll, they'll figure it out. And like, there are some bench bats that are really struggling. Willie Castro, Nick Gordon, like, how do you go about that? Do you option? I mean, Nick Gordon's out of options. So do you DFA him? Willie Castro has an option. Do you option him? Um, I also did not have on my proverbial bingo card that Carlos Correa was going to be the worst hitter in the twins lineup this year. Which is why I think they're going to be in great shape. Like, he's going to be fine. He's going to be he's fine, gonna... and they're leading the division. I think they're the only team in the AL Central over 500 at this point. And Miranda has been just as bad. And and I, that's another guy that, like, I, yes, he's young, not as proven. I, that's as confident in a young guy as I'm going to be. I'm not worried about Miranda. Yeah. Um, I, I really feel like this team's going to be a force. I don't think they're going to slow down anytime soon. Um, I guess the problem is this. Do so. I think the very obvious guys to kind of cut from the equation here are Nick Gordon, Willie Castro. You could get a prospect for Nick Gordon even with the slow start. Like you could, sure. you could definitely get a prospect for Nick Gordon, Willie Castro. Who cares? Um, so it, yes, you could fill those two spots. But Jack, like, are, are you going to bring up Alex Kirilov to play two, three times a week, or does he now, you know, take at bats away from? Joey Gallo, but Joey Gallo has a a 1000 OPS thus far. Yeah. You're not taking at bats away from Gallo. No, I think if Gallo feels good in a corner, you could do that and you could somehow finagle your way to four or five games a week for Kirilov. But do you want to take a hot bat out of the corner spots to replace him with Gallo? Like it's a weird you know that game at like restaurant tables? It's not Tetris, but it's one of those where like you have the one open slot on the puzzle board and you try and like make the image. I yeah, feel like they have that like Cracker Barrel. Yeah, they've got it at Cracker Barrel, like I Midwest vibe. Yeah, I mean they've got them in Florida too. But like that's what I feel like Rocco Baldelli's trying to do right now. Yeah. Like he's trying to he's trying to make a good image by like sliding certain guys there. And then you've got other bench pieces here. And that's a great problem to have as a big league manager. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think that Kirilov is going to be really, really good in AAA for the next couple of months. And then I think when the twins have a chance to step on the jugular in the AL central and put it away, they've got a three and a half game lead right now. They might bring Kirilov to play three days a week. You know, it's fucked up. Royce Lewis is also like a month or two away. I know, man. 
that you're not you're not i mean he, maybe he plays for like you know a few weeks in triple let him get his feet under him and everything like that that could justify the time there by the time we get to july you got to figure that shit out dude i think they're saying hey man Take your time. No rush, rush. getting fully and, healthy. And they're trying to scramble. Like Trevor Larnick playing well. I know he slowed down a little bit, but like Larnick is low-key one of the fastest dudes and hits the crap out of the ball. He's a good defender. Like Larnick has now kind of forced his way into relevancy here. Uh, Kepler is is Max Kepler. I almost wonder if you trade Kepler, but you want to tread lightly on trading the the proven big league bat. So it, it is it – is, a situation here where I think more games gives you more clarity, but right now they they are they are probably spinning right now in their heads uh, the, the Twins front office with what they need to do, and I think it'd be silly to make any you know definitive definitive statements now on it. But I want to revisit this in a couple of weeks because we'll have more statistics, we'll have more sample size, we'll have more injury clarity, and I want to figure out what the hell the Minnesota Twins are doing. Can I tell you what trade jumps to my mind here? And like, I'm not, I'm not even putting together a trade that Minnesota is going to make for a certain guy. But when I think the Minnesota situation at the deadline, you mentioned Jorge Lopez has yet to allow a run. Yoan Duran's not going anywhere. And Duran's got like a mid two ZRA. He's been fine. He's been walking some guys, but that's that. Thiel has been good. But like Emilio Pagan's got a six and a half. And there are a bunch of guys that, you know, haven't been great. The trade that I'm thinking of is the 2021 deadline when the White Sox got Craig Kimbrell from the Cubs for Cody Hoyer, who is like big league setup guy, and Nick Madrigal, who was big league second baseman. I think that you could package Nick Gordon and a starter, whether it's Kepler and Nick Gordon for a high leverage reliever. I think that might be what Minnesota does at the deadline. Gets another reliever. I, I could see that. What if I was thinking about it too? Like that would be a move that makes sense if there's a match out there. But how about the fact that like they've got the wealth, like they've got the like big league, close to big league ready prospect, and just overall prospect wealth to go make like a big trade. Like <laughs> if they really wanted to make a splash, like they they probably smell the blood in the water. They're seventeen and twelve. Next best team in that shitty ass division is. 13 and 15, the Cleveland Guardians. Real quick, let me walk you through the American League right now because all five teams in the AL East have a positive run differential. They're all over 500. There's one team in the AL West with a negative run differential, and it's Oakland at negative 117, far and away the worst Mm -hmm. in baseball. Barf. Um, Not only is Minnesota the only team above 500 in the AL Central, they are the only team with a positive run differential. It's incredible. That's incredible. Uh, like, so he- here's a thought. Edouard Julian, like, we love him. They don't really need him. They don't need him. Not even remotely. You could trade him. You could trade Warnick. You could trade Walner. You could trade, you could justify a trade of Alex Kirilov, even though they love him. And I know teams would still value him highly. You could trade Royce, Royce Lewis. You could trade that, like, that's an assortment. Then Nick Gordon. Uh, you could trade an assortment of guys. Then they've got lower level prospects too that are still pretty relevant. Um, they somehow got Jose Salas from the Marlins. We joke about him. That's a guy that you can still package as a third or fourth piece in a deal. Although for now, I don't know. It's got like a 300 OPS. Uh, but like they've got a wealth here. Like if they really wanted to, if there's a, a good team that's in rebuild mode, we were talking about the White Sox even, like they could go out and make a, a, a pretty big splash with the White Sox. I don't know if that's as much of a match. You look at like, Corbin Burns, everyone's talking about who's going to trade for Corbin Burns. 
The Twins could probably do it. Do you think they do, though? Because they have such no, a no, pitching surplus. But I'm just saying, yeah. like, theoretically, like, I like to just see what teams have in their bag as a possibility. And yeah. the Twins have the capital to do some crazy stuff. Like, yeah. they do. So I'm really interested. Like, wouldn't that be the easiest way to trim the 40-man? Consolidate and go get a guy that, like, is a proven star. Like, yeah, he's been a little bit down this year. But, man, that makes them World Series contenders. Um, I don't think they do it, but like it, it just as a thought exercise, they could theoretically put together a, a competitive Corbin Burns package. That is saying a lot about where the twins are at. They're in the driver's seat, baby. Here's a crazy one for you. And, and before we move on to our final thing, Julianne and Kirilov for Camilo Doval. <laughs> I think that's an overpay. You think that's an overpay? He's got so much. I struggle. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I think I'm pretty good with trade values. I struggle with reliever trade values. Yeah, it's impossible. Um, Because it's kind of in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. I think Kirilov would be too much. Julian and Walner? Yeah, something like that. Like the, San Francisco to do that, I think. San Francisco needs talent offensively. Like they need to find everyday bat. Be, it depends what Kirilov is perceived as. Again, I have the beholder. Even for the thought exercise, if you did that that trade, I think Twins fans are kind of squirming um, because of what Kirilov can be. So even if you swap him out for somebody else with you know maybe a little bit less upside, but kind of viewed as the same value. Like your point there, though, that makes their bullpen. Top notch Duran, Duvall, Lopez, and you're just kind of trimming fat. Like if it's Walner, Larnick, let's say Larnick, because they could use Larnick. Larnick would be like they're one of their most exciting outfielders. For sure. Julianne and Larnick for Camilo Doval. Yes. I, I think that is unbelievably sick. <laughs> like that would be so, so fun. cool. Um, I like I don't I'm not big on trading for relievers, but it's pretty hard to point at Camilo Doval and say, Yeah, that's not gonna stay. I don't you know, buy like it. that he, too volatile. <laughs> Too volatile. Like there's certain guys that buck the trend. Like Doval is that, and and the Giants are fa- like further off than they think they are. I think they're going to find that out as the season goes on. Like cash in on the reliever, for sure, for sure. Because like again, those guys spawn and Doval. I I mean I'm terrified if Sonny Gray goes six and then you turn it over to Lopez for the seventh, Duran for the eighth, Doval for the ninth. That's that's sick. That's disgusting. That's like that's night shift uh Braves or that's 2015 Kansas City when it was Herrera Davis yeah that was I mean that's that's what it is in the postseason like we saw that's what the Astros like that's how they did what they did it was Montero yeah and you could go to several different arms who could legitimately just close the game out like that you need almost like three closers in in the postseason nowadays yeah, it was Minter, Matzik, Jackson, and Smith in 21 for Atlanta, and they were awesome. And like yep. that's the shit of legends. And I think that Minnesota could be looking at something like that. Last thing, Sonny Gray is pitching like the best arm in baseball right now. Okay. Sonny Gray has a sub one ERA at the moment. And I just want to throw you like a very vague question. Cause when you look at the league leaders in ERA, Sonny Gray at this point is the only guy sub one among qualified starters. Sonny's got a 0.77. Cole's got a 1.11. Justin Steele is under one and a half, friend of the program. Spencer Strider, Luis Castillo, Shohei Otani. Those are the top six. So I ask you, Aram, who's the best pitcher in baseball right now? Through the first month of the season, Strider? I think Spencer Strider. 
So Kevin Gosman is leading the league in strikeouts. That Zach Dowling. That last outing kind of put him over the, right in the conversation too. But how about Zach Gallen recently? I mean, he's on a crazy stretch too. There are so many arms that are performing at such an elite level right now. I'm spoiled as a pitching dork, and I think baseball fans are spoiled too. Yeah, because you have like the the best arms really putting on special performances, but you also have offense kind of up. So it's almost the best of of all worlds here, where you still get to see the the best arms be the best arms, but you get to see more offense in general, which is what baseball wanted. Um, so it's it's a really cool situation to be in. Um, I think these guys too, like Sonny Gray was supposed to be this and he's been this in flashes. We haven't seen it. Um, he's kind of, we talked about reinventing yourself a little bit with, with Walker. Um, that's kind of what Sonny Gray has done in the early going this year, which is cool. He's throwing the curveball more than any other pitch. He's phased the fastball out big time, which is interesting because the fastball was hit harder than any of his other offerings last year. Now his four seamer is barely being thrown. He's going cutter way more we were just talking about that so now maybe in this latter stage and, and it's not even like the, the full-on latter stage but he's 33 um sunny gray's getting out in a different way and it's working so um that's always cool to see but then you got guys like zach gallon and spencer strider who are just elevating themselves which is also so cool to see i think what stands out the most with gallon is how much he that dude just hits his spots like jack you're you're a pitching dork that's got to be one of the most fun guys to watch because it's it's inside, outside, up, down. Like it's every quadrant. Whenever the the spot is you know asked for from Moreno or whoever's catching, he drills it. And and on top of that, the stuff is great. I'd say Zach Gallon, like Strider, like overpowers you and it's just electric to watch. But you flip a coin, you know what pitch is coming. There's something about Zach Gallon's pitch mix and command. That is just like very satisfying to watch. I think he he could easily be in that conversation of best pitcher right now. I mean, dude, like I'm totally with you. Uh, and also that cut change out of nowhere was stupid. And he was like, I can't ever do that again. That like slipped out of my hand and it was really weird, uh, but it worked. Yeah, I, I think Gallon is dominant because he's been perfect recently. Like he has been execution. He looks the exact same on every pitch. It, it's so fascinating, man. And I think that... We're in a spot in baseball right now where if you are just a baseball fan, if you did the Rob Lowe NFL hat but had the MLB logo on, like I can point to a game every night and say, watch that one because you'll see a great pitching performance from one of these guys and you'll do it and enjoy it. So like tonight, Tanner Bybee, Garrett Cole. Nice hat. Arm. I love that. I didn't even know that. I was actually, I swear I was going to wear it today and I totally forgot. So keep it on for the call up later. I love that. Um, Tanner Bybee and Garrett Cole tonight at 7.05. Watch that because Cole is throwing out of his mind right now and Tanner Bybee looked great in his major league debut. We love him. He's you know a listener to the show and he, you know, looked awesome. Got to be pretty cool for, for Cole to get to pitch against Bybee. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then you've got like at 8.05, man, Zach Gallen sees John Gray in Arlington. So Gallen is seeing that Rangers offense like, I will be tuned into that. And then you've got tomorrow, Shane Bieber gets the ball. Shohei Otani gets the ball. Romber Valdez gets the ball. Dylan Cease gets the ball. Shane McClanahan throws against Pittsburgh. Like, there's something to watch every single night when it comes to top flight starting pitching, which is great.
which is great. I, I love it. And and even when you got like guys like Kershaw, like we talked about, like the vintage guys still throwing, still getting out. It's like it's it's a really fun time. Like it, it sucks. That's why the Degrom injury is so unfortunate. But I feel like we're, we you're kind of seeing like ushering into an, a new era of just exciting pitchers that you know will be those those new guys that we watch. Maybe Degrom's one of the most dominant we ever see. I don't know if anyone quite matches what he did at his peak, but. We got a lot of really fun pitchers to watch that are that are you know I think taking the league by storm right now and um, wow offense is still good so it's it is a really good time for baseball I think and that's why the viewership numbers have been great out of the gate. So Strider is the best pitcher in the game right now. I, I think you could make the Cole case like you could make a, a fair case for a handful of arms. I'm willing to make on, this on pure domination. It's Strider. I mean he's at, he's striking out 15 per nine. Yeah. Um, with a 180 RA. Like Sonny Gray is allowing the least runs, but in terms of strikeouts to walks, in terms of just just pure domination, I think it's got to be Spencer Strider. So I'm willing to make the Strider case. I'm willing to make the Cole case. I'm willing to make the Gosman case, even after that blip start in Houston. But I think I'm hanging my hat on Zach Gallen right now. 215 ERA, 51 punch outs, five walks in 37 innings. Well, and the one thing that stands out with Gallon, and and I, that's one that I could easily get with too, is that you know a lot of these other guys are having insane starts, but you know you look at the underlying numbers and like they're still really good. But it's like a normal, really good season, like yeah. 0.770 ERA for for Sonny Gray, probably got like a 2-2. FIP, yeah, yeah, something like that. Zach Gallon, it's a two one five ERA. It's a one eight four FIP. Yeah, right. So I'm this is a guy nuts. that it might actually be unlucky to start the year. Like that's that's crazy. Um, and then the K to to BB is is silly. Over twelve point one nine Ks per nine, one point one nine walks per nine. So he's literally got you know an eleven K to BB rate. Like that, that that's just 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 stupid. I need Strider versus Gallon at some point this season. I got Cease McClanahan and McClanahan won it with flying colors. I think we'll get, I th- we feel like we have to get a Strider Gallon at some point this year. I hope so. I, think I hope it lines up like that. Like, and also, if, Jose Barrios back? Maybe. For I hope so. Fuck, I hope so. I, I know he's he a 471. Underlying metrics look kind of good. That's usually the other way around with him. That'd be cool if he was back. That would be very cool. It'd be great for Toronto. It would be awesome for the Toronto Blue Jays. Also, shout out to Dalton Varsho for that walk-off knock this weekend. He needed it bad, man. A good Varsho is unlockable for that next level of Blue Jays baseball. So, 100%. All right. This was awesome. Peter and Arm, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Get your merch. Every link you need is in the show notes. Um, again, capitalize. We are sponsored by BetMGM. Uh, play so rare fantasy baseball right a weekly lineup put together uh and all that jazz so we'll talk to you tomorrow guys